around you and who you are, Lord. But it's all because of you. It's all because of your glory and your praise, Lord. I pray that we would receive none of it, Lord, for ourselves, but we would give it to you because you are worthy to be praised. God, you are the Lord of everything, and we worship you for that. We worship you that, that you bless us in ways that we don't deserve, and you bless us in ways that, that are just unfathomable with how sinful we are, Lord. And we are just so grateful for a great God that loves us in spite of who we are, Lord. Because without you, we are nothing, and with you are we are everything, Lord. We're so thankful for your grace on us, Lord, your grace in this church and your grace in our lives. I pray that you would continue to bless us, Lord. Not that we would just receive this blessing, but that we would turn this blessing to you, giving you glory and praise. Lord, we worship you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for this congregation, Lord. We thank you for these voices and these hearts when we sing and worship, Lord. Lord, we love you and we worship you with everything that we have. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. As we continue, uh, Rex is, Pastor Rex is going to be delivering our message in the continuing services of Lord of Everything. But before, we have a 2020 update. So let's see what's updated, see what's going on with our church, and let's celebrate together as we watch this. Hey everyone, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms out there. I hope you're having a great weekend. God bless you moms. Thank you for everything you do to make our families and our church richer. We are blessed to have you in our lives. We've had a lot of global missions teams coming and going from Grace Fellowship this spring. Later this month, we've got a medical team leaving for Uganda. And in July, we have another team going to Uganda and one to Toronto as well. Let's keep all of these teams in our prayers. And you know, it's exciting to be able to put these trips together and to see people have life-changing experiences with our kingdom partners. But in reality, each of us are on mission to make disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. We don't have to go on a mission trip to open our heart to others, to boldly share Jesus and to serve with genuine compassion. We all need to be doing these things right here in this desperate mission field known as the Capital Region. But sometimes a trip like the ones we organize can be a great way to reignite that passion and commitment inside of us. We have trips to Guatemala and Haiti coming up in October. And next Sunday at 1230 at Grace Latham, we're having informational meetings where you can find out more about these two powerful mission trips. If you've been considering a trip, make plans to come out for these important info meetings next week. Once again, thanks to everyone who's given consistently to this campaign. As you can see, we're getting closer and closer to that first bronze milestone in total gifts. $2.5 million, that's pretty exciting. And I've got some great news to report on in regards to our humanitarian aid projects. First, we made our first payment toward new fresh water wells for our kingdom partners in India and Uganda. Both of these ministry partners experience severe drought conditions and have a desperate need for drinking water for their community. We're thrilled that our gifts to the 2020 campaign can help change precious lives in these towns and villages. And in addition, we've also made an initial payment to begin a sustainability project for our friends at Uganda in the Canaan Children's Home. Through the initial purchase of 30 goats, Canaan will be able to multiply these goats and not only supply the children in their ministry with milk and food, 
but also they'll be able to share these precious items with families throughout their community. Their vision is to make this a self-sustaining opportunity that will continue to reap blessings for years to come. And those are just some of the important things that are being done for the kingdom of God through 2020 Vision. If you'd like to learn more about this campaign or even sign up to give, please feel free to visit our campaign homepage, gracefellowship.com 2020 vision. And now I'm gonna hand things off to Pastor Rex. We'll bring part four in our current sermon series. Today's message is called, He Urges Us to Choose Well. Pastor Rex. Amen. That is, a, that is a great update. I'm very excited about this humanitarian aid and how God, through your sacrifice, through your gifts, is, is helping us to touch lives all around the world. Well, the one word that probably describes mothers would be the word busy. Their lives are just jammed with activity. And I think that's true whether she has a career outside the home or not. It's true whether she has a handful of children or one. And it's true whether she's a mother of 20 years old or a grandmother. Mom's lives are very hectic and filled with activity. One of my favorite all-time Mother's Day cartoons is where a husband comes home after a long day's work and uh, he walks in the door and his wife is just uh, disheveled. Her hair is sticking up. There's food spilled on the table. The kids are crawling around everywhere, toys all over the place, house in disarray. She's obviously stressed out and in need of some personal attention And the husband stands there with his computer case, his tie on, bug-eyed. And she says, you know how you asked me what I did all day long? Well, today I didn't do it, and here it is, you know? Life can get pretty crazy. And I think one of the biggest challenges for Christian mothers is how do you prioritize all this stuff? With so many urgent things screaming at you, wanting immediate attention, it's easy to lose the focus on matters of eternity and things that are even more important. That's why I think today's Bible story is especially relevant. We come today, as we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, we come to a section in Luke chapter 10 that is particularly relevant, I think, for all of us, but maybe especially for moms. So let's look at the story together and see what lessons we can identify from this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Both of these sisters face the same 
set of circumstances. Martha was a very good woman doing good things, but Mary, her sister, was praised because she chose what was better. She had a different set of priorities, really. And so I want us to see the four choices here that Mary made that I'm convinced every house in America could benefit from if we made these same choices. First of all, she welcomed Jesus Christ into her home. Now, when you read the different gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the sense that that Bethany was sort of a retreat. The home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was sort of a retreat for Jesus and his disciples. It was a short distance from Jerusalem, and at least three people lived there. There might have been more, but these three are named Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Now, this Lazarus is not the poor beggar who sat at the gate of the rich man, as we're going to hear about later in Luke 16. This Lazarus is the same one that Jesus raised from the dead. You can read that whole story in John's Gospel, chapter 16, if you're curious. The text is not explicit, but we get the sense that Mary, or excuse me, Martha may be the oldest. She at least seems to be the one in charge. In John chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He was especially close with this family, these three siblings who lived together. Now, Mary is not even mentioned by name in that particular verse, but even though Martha was apparently the leader, Mary joined in in inviting Jesus into their home and welcoming him, and she was the one that paid the most attention to him. Here's what I'm struck by, by our Lord. He never forced himself on anyone. Have you ever noticed that? As you read through all these stories, and there are so many in the Gospels, Jesus only went where he was invited. If he wasn't welcome somewhere, he he just kind of calmly said, okay, we're going to take the message to some other place, some other town. He always seemed to go to houses that he was invited into. And he still promises to come today where he's invited. I love Revelation 3, verse 20. Here I am, the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He always knocks. He never hammers the door down. He never forces himself. We have to invite him in. So moms, here's the first challenge I'd put before you this weekend. I would challenge you to make sure that Jesus Christ is a welcome guest in your home. Please don't give the impression to your children, your family, that he's only for the weekend. He's only for that church building when we go and do that worship thing. Invite him home with you. Let your family feel his presence every single day and remove anything that would discourage the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you this way. If you saw the Lord in the flesh, if you saw him walking up your driveway, 
on your sidewalk to about to knock on your door, what would you do? Would you change the channel you've been watching? Would you go to a different website or shut your computer down? Would you get rid of certain magazines? Would you flush some pills down the toilet or move some bottles around? What would you do? Would you feel uncomfortable if Jesus were physically in your home? Well, he's there. Because whenever someone who knows him as Savior and Lord is in that home, Jesus is in them, and he is among you when there are people of faith in that house. So how can you invite him in? Let me give you some practical ways. One, very simple, would be simply to pause before you start eating and just give thanks to God. It doesn't have to be a long-winded prayer. In fact, I prefer short ones. I'm kind of known in our family for short prayers, okay? Lord, we love you. Thank you for this amazing food we're about to receive. We're so grateful. We never take this for granted. Thank you so much, Lord, for providing in Jesus' name. Amen. And a prayer that simple, that simple and brief is just a reminder that, Lord, you are welcome in this place. Moms, I would encourage you to Try to instill some scripture in your kids if you can. It might be taking a three by five card uh, and just writing the one verse on it. And then when you sit down to eat some meals, just talk about that verse. Just maybe go over it together. Debbie and I tried to instill in our children certain key passages of scripture that we wanted to be in the bedrock of their souls. And when you put your children to bed, Uh, try a Bible story or try praying with them before you kind of tuck them in at night. I think you'd be amazed how much that means. You see, we need to understand that the primary biblical instruction for your children is not to happen on one hour in the kids' celebration on the weekend. That's awesome. And that's meaningful, but that's not the main thing. The main instruction takes place in our homes. And I would urge you to take advantage of Christian videos in your home. Don't just use the iPad or the television set or the computer to kind of be a glorified babysitter. Take advantage of some of the many wonderful Christian resources that are out there. Adventures in Odyssey, Veggie Tales, Superbook. One, two, three, penguins with Kevin, Boz, the green bear next door, the Bernstein bears. There are all kinds of resources. Play some Christian music. You know, the music in our home sets a tremendous mood and environment. And sometimes the lyrics are so powerful. I believe that young people learn more theology through music than they do through sermons. So do you ever play Christian music in your home? And I would suggest, in addition to this, that you display your children's crafts in the home. Occasionally, I'll have a kid walk up to me out in the lobby, and this is always so cute. And they've worked on a craft in kids' celebration, and they've maybe drawn a picture of Pastor Rex. I've got so many pictures of me. You'd be amazed. They're, they're, they're wonderful. And this little child has drawn a picture of Pastor Rex preaching or something like that. And they want to give it to me, and I'm always so appreciative. 
But if your child brings home a craft, maybe of Jesus healing someone, listen, put it on the refrigerator. Display it proudly. It's a reminder, the Lord is welcome in this home. This is important here. You see, God wants us to invite the Lord in to our everyday lives. That's the essence of Deuteronomy 6, where it says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Where are we to impress them on our children? At some fancy school somewhere? Well, that would be okay again. But the Bible says it's to happen primarily in the home. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, I get the idea, this is just to be a regular part of life here. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, this is to be happening in your home. By the way, that's another good idea. It's a powerful thing when Christian families put up plaques, maybe of key words, or scripture verses, or sayings in the home. One of the fondest memories I have of growing up, all through my growing up years before going away, is my mom had a plaque on the wall of the kitchen, where we spent a lot of time preparing meals, eating meals together in the little dining area that was right there in the kitchen area. And she had a plaque up on the wall. I'll never forget it. Here's what it said. It had a provocative question. Time is swiftly passing. Where will you spend eternity? That was up all the years, ever since I can remember. That was there. I think it was my mother's subtle way of evangelizing her family because most of our family were not believers. But boy, that saying, that question... I could not get away from, and it made me think. I think God used it to help draw me to Christ. But moms, in addition to all these things, I gotta tell you, the number one influence in your home is gonna be your very lifestyle. Kids will watch you like a hawk. They see your values. They see how you spend your time. They see whether you pray or not. They see when you get stressed out, do you turn to the Lord or to something else to get you through? My mother almost never stopped working. I got to tell you, I think it was just too much. She worked and worked and worked. There was a strong work ethic in our family. And as this country farm wife, she, she just never stopped. But when she occasionally got a few minutes to sit down, this is also emblazoned in my memory she almost always, when she sat down in her chair there in the family room, she would take her Bible out and start reading. I'll never forget that. She had her Bible right there. If she had just 10 minutes, she would open her Bible up and just read a chapter as she sat there. I believe that that had a huge impression on me and made me hungry. I thought, if this is that important to her, maybe I need to check this out. And when I became a young teenager, I did. And I began to really read the scripture for myself. There's all kinds of ways that we can invite Jesus into our home. I want you to notice the second thing here about Mary, though. She sensed the significance of the moment, and she seized the day. 
Now, every minute has 60 seconds in it. Would you agree? But would you also agree with this? Some minutes are more important than others. Oh, yeah. A lot of minutes just pass by, sort of mundane. But occasionally, there's a special, teachable moment that you kind of want to note and capture. If you want to buy advertising time on some major network, you can get it pretty cheap if you buy it at 3 a.m. in the morning. But if you want to buy 60 seconds during the Super Bowl on a major network, you could pay millions of dollars for that. Some special moments surface in life that are extremely valuable. Are we alert to them? The old movie Dead Poets Society popularized a phrase in our culture. I'll bet you know what it is, right? Carpe diem. Remember that? Carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the day. But did you know that's a biblical message? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I love that phrase, making the most of every opportunity. You could just write across that carpe diem. That's what he's saying. Life is precious. Every minute is valuable. Seize it. Capture it. I think Mary recognized that. She knew that Jesus might never be there again. Life is uncertain. She knew that this moment might never be duplicated, and she soaked it up. Moms, I urge you, and I know many of you are already so fabulous at this. You do it regularly. I urge you to note those special moments in your family's life. Now, some of them are predictable. First birthday, you got the camera out rolling. Does this happen in your home? Camera's out rolling. Child's one-year-old, got chocolate cake all over their face. Oh, aren't they cute? Oh, that's so cute. Camera rolling. Learn to ride the bike. Camera rolling. You know they're going to fall. Ooh, that hurt. Yeah. And you go on and on. It might be a baptism. It might be a special sports moment or a special birthday, something like that, a special event at school, cameras rolling. And then later on, there are other things that come along that are predictable. First date, prom, graduation, some special moments are predictable. I hope you take advantage of those and capture them. But it's the unpredictable ones I'm focused on now. When we were raising our two children, sometimes I felt I almost had a sore side because Debbie was always punching me in the ribs going, did you see that? Did you see that look? Did you see? Did you see? It's like a light bulb over their head. And I'm like, I'm clueless. I'm like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I see that. She was so perceptive and our kids were the beneficiaries of her wisdom. Amazing wisdom in parenting. And I believe that you can create some special moments. For instance, I know of some families in our church, I don't know if they still do it, but as their children were young, they would have on Christmas Eve, someone dress up as an old shepherd, come knock on the door before the kids went to bed. They do this. 
just for the kids to create a special moment. Shepherd knocks on the door, open the door. Shepherd comes in and says, have you seen the Christ child? Then he'd say the kids are wide-eyed. I was out on the hillside watching my sheep with my friends and this angel appeared to us and I'll tell you the sky lit up and said that a special child has been born and so we went on a trip looking for him but because I'm old I couldn't keep up and now I've lost my way and I just saw your light on and I wonder do you know where the Christ child is? That creates a special moment for those children and at least for a few moments on Christmas Eve the kids are focused on the baby Jesus more than Santa Claus do you recognize the special moments sometimes they sneak up on you but ask the Lord to give you eyes to see it I think the great moms have a knack for recognizing those moments Mary recognized this is a moment that she would never have again. And she sat at Jesus' feet while he was there. There's a third thing that I'm impressed with about Mary. She valued relationships more than an activity. Now, Martha was doing important stuff, let me tell you. Cooking the meal, setting the table, serving the hors d'oeuvres, making sure all the guests had enough iced tea or whatever. A lot of Bible commentaries, if you read about this story, they kind of rip on Martha. Did you know that? They rip on her. They say, yeah, Martha, she was focused on the trivial and she lost out on the most important thing. But I want to push back on that a little bit. Here's why. I kind of like the Marthas of the world. I've been the guest in a lot of homes through my life and ministry, and I want to tell you, I really appreciate the Marthas who pay attention to the details because I appreciate food that's been well-prepared and lumpless mashed potatoes, you know what I mean? And those little watermelon balls that don't have any seeds in them, you know what I mean? I appreciate that. So I think we need a balance here in life. Fred Craddock wrote, if we censor Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we <laughs> commend Mary too profusely, she may sit there forever. <clears throat> there's a time to go and do, and there's a time to listen and reflect. Knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. And I totally agree. Mary was discerning enough to value relationships more than activity. Now, I think she might have been involved with some preparations in advance. I don't know. But when Jesus was there, she quit worrying about the physical stuff, the logistics. She quit worrying about the logistics, and she focused on the spiritual. Now, moms, I'm going to hit you with an idea here that some of you are not going to understand. But I hope that eventually you do. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than serving Jesus. Let me run that by you one more time because I'm afraid some of you aren't going to want to accept that because you misunderstand what it's all about. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than serving Jesus. 
Now, here's what I've noticed with many moms. I hope it's not true of you, but it, it, you might see some of these tendencies. I believe that many moms have Marthaplexy. Marthaplexy, it's a disease, it's a syndrome in our culture. And they believe that they're winning Jesus' approval by doing a bunch of things. And they honestly don't believe that Jesus really loves them truly, so they got to just run themselves ragged and do all these things so that maybe Jesus will really approve. I want you to be set free today, moms. Listen. Jesus loves you, period. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to run around with this crazy, frenetic schedule for Jesus to approve. He loves you. They say, well, pastor, how do I know if I've got Marthaplexy or not? Do you live by the compass or the clock? Is your life a frenetic, crazy schedule of just rigid activities where it's just go, go, go. There's no margin whatsoever. There's no focus on the relational. It's just get these things done, and that's what really matters the most. Or do you live by your values, by your principles? Do you put relationships ahead of these often fairly trivial tasks? Do you understand that if you just left some of that out, your life might be a lot richer? Are you living by the clock or by the compass? Now, you may think this is going too far, but somebody described busy in an acronym, being under Satan's yoke. Ah. And if all you do is activity, it may be, it may be that you're under Satan's yoke and not taking time to learn of Jesus. Listen, relationships, that's what life is about. All the rest is just footnotes. Benjamin West was a popular painter and uh, he tells a story about when he was a little kid, his mother had to run to the grocery store for a few minutes, and she asked Benjamin West for, to babysit his sister, and so he did. His mother left, and Benjamin found some ink, and he began to kind of paint with it and draw with it, and he got it all over the house, and he was painting a picture of his sister. He got it all over himself and all over the house. And then his mom walked in with the groceries and she saw the mess. But she also saw the painting. And the first thing she said was, oh, Benjamin, you painted a picture of your sister, Sally. And then she kissed him. And Benjamin West later said, that kiss made me a painter. She put relationship above task. She was living by the compass, not the clock. When I was a kid, I was enamored with basketball. And I played every minute I could. Even in the house, I had two or three metal Nerf hoops that I put up on doors in our house. And they scuffed the wood. I mean, they were horrible. And I would go and I would slam dunk on them and they rattled the door and there was more scuffs on the wood and I'm sure it drove my mother crazy 
she let me go ahead and do that because she knew deep down inside that I was more important than that door. And we could get new doors perhaps later. Irma Bombeck wrote, there was a time when her children were growing up and her husband surveyed the bare patches in the backyard and wondered, will the grass ever come back? And then she said later, when the kids had grown up and gone, he looked at the beautiful green lawn and asked, will the children ever come back? You see, we get hung up on perfect doors and meticulous lawns and clean carpets and that's not nearly as important as loving relationships. Mary knew that. It's an important lesson for all of us. But the final thing I want you to see about Mary is that she kept her values in spite of her sister's criticism. Now, I'm kind of fond of today's story, really, because it's one of those rare places in Scripture that kind of shows us this real insight into sibling frustration and rivalry and conflict. This is a typical kind of struggle. Martha's churning in the kitchen, having to do all this work. Can't you just see her muttering? Oh, I'd love to be sitting at Jesus' feet and learning. I'll tell you that right now. I'd love to be doing that, but somebody has to do all this work. Somebody has to cook this food. Somebody has to take care of these details. You know, my sister, she seems to disappear at just the time she's needed most. If she'd just come and help me, then maybe later we could both sit at Jesus' feet and learn. And I'm confident that Mary knew Martha was displeased with her. She heard the slamming of the pots and pans in the kitchen. She could read the body language when Martha would come and appear in the doorway. And she knew the meaning behind all the muttering. And then she's bold enough to confront Mary, really, in front of Jesus. She kind of takes it straight to Jesus, says, Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me to do all the work in the, alone. Why don't you tell her to come and help me? Martha seems to be deliberately trying to hurt Mary where it's going to hurt the most to make her look bad to Jesus. And I'm wondering if Martha was thinking maybe she'd get a little sympathy. But Mary didn't buckle under this criticism from her sister. She stayed focused on being with Jesus. And moms, I don't even think I need to tell you this. But if you live by the compass and not the clock, if you try to get rid of Marthaplexy, if you try to value relationships over activity, if you really invite Jesus Christ into your home in a wholesome, healthy way, I don't think I need to even tell you you're going to get criticized for that. Oh, she doesn't let her kids do all the things the other kids do. I don't know. Oh, she, she's so focused on trying to teach them the word and the principles. I, I'm not sure they're going to know how the world works. But you keep your values. Jesus commended Mary. Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And it's not that loaf of bread you're cooking. I'm the bread of life. 
Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, before we close today, I just want to say a quick word to two groups of people, and then we're going to just, just wrap up. First, I would say an encouraging word to those of you who are not moms, but you're in the home. Maybe you're a spouse, maybe you're a son or daughter, husband, dad in the home. And you know what? You can help mom focus on what's eternal and most important if you will be a little more sensitive in helping. Easy to say, hard to do, right? But you can take a lot of load off her just by helping out. I read about a teenage daughter who was appalled that her mother was doing dishes on Mother's Day. She couldn't believe it. She saw her mom washing dishes at the sink. She said, Mom, that's horrible. You ought not to wash dishes on Mother's Day. And her mom was visibly relieved. She breathed a sigh, began to take this apron off and about to hand it to her daughter. And the daughter said, no, they can wait until tomorrow. <laughs> pitch in, pitch in and help family. And the other group I just want to say a word to is those of you who are moms and your children are grown up, maybe they're gone from home already or maybe they're young adults still in the home and let's just be honest, you feel like a failure. You feel like a failure. Maybe your priorities were out of whack when your children were growing up or maybe you were too much like Martha or maybe you never even invited Jesus into your home at all during most of those growing up years. And you would do anything, you would give anything if you could go back and rewind it all and do that over and get those priorities straight and live by the compass, not by the clock. But you can't. Somebody said, you can't go back for a new beginning, but you can start now for a new ending. And I urge you, because I, I just, my heart aches for moms who are just riddled with guilt. Get rid of, please, get rid of the guilt. Give it to Jesus. Say, oh, I didn't understand how important such and such was. I didn't understand what I was doing. I, I didn't really get it then. I, I didn't, just confess it. You may even need to have an apology with your children, I don't know. That's one of the most noble things you could ever do. But please don't live the rest of your life ground down by guilt and regret about the past. Let me tell you, that doesn't do anybody any good. It really doesn't. It's not helping your kids now and it's certainly not helping you. It's only making you miserable. Now, moms, I share that because I've literally talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of moms, and I think they're on the guilt train, and that's no place to be. You can't start over for a new beginning. You can start now, though, for a new ending. So today, just give it all to Jesus Christ. If you've never asked him to be your Lord and Yielded your life to him in that way. Do it now. Do it today. 
If you've never declared as a parent, hey, you know what? I've got some priorities out of line. Today's the day. It's the first step, really, of a whole new journey. You can choose what is best beginning today. And you can know without any doubt at all that you've chosen what is best. Father, thank you for this amazing little gem of a story in the life of Jesus and what we can learn from it. Thank you, Lord, for the Marthas of the world, those people who are focused so diligently on the details, wanting to serve others. But help us, Jesus, in all sincerity, never to have Martha Plexi, somehow believing that our activity for you is going to earn your love let us know right now that you love us more than you ever could and that our service for you should flow out of a heart of gratitude, not obligation, not guilt, a heart of overwhelming gratitude for your love. And so bless moms this weekend, we pray. May this not just be a great weekend. May this be a new beginning for a brand new ending. In Jesus' name, amen. Will the ushers please come forward as we receive our tithes and offerings? And I would like uh, to invite any of you who would like prayer.